Hello, I'm Winnie, a bit short. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to be reading from the uh, passage Psalm 13, which is on the front of your um, handouts. And it feels like a bit of a shift in gear um, when it comes to reading this. It's uh, a different kind of emotional feel to it than um, the wonderful conversations we've been having. Um, so I'm just going to read Psalm 13. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemies will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. This is Word of the Lord. Thanks for that, Winnie. That was um, really great. Thank you. Um, if you haven't met me today, my name is Sarah. Um, a little bit about me. I go to the morning service here at Marsfield Community Church. Um, I've been married to my husband, Haran, for 16 years, and we have three amazing kids who uh, challenge me and delight me daily. I'm so glad you could all join us today. Um, I'm going to talk to you today about how we can come to God when we need hope. The anti-aging industry fascinates me. We, they sell so many products these days. There's creams and serums and masks and silicone face stickers and those crystal rollers you're supposed to roll all over your face. And they make big promises to smooth and plump and minimize visual signs of aging. And the models in the ads always have this miraculous soft airbrush skin. Now, I'm getting to a certain age now where I'm noticing white hairs popping up, I'm noticing my skin changing, and I'm noticing wrinkles appearing. And I feel like it would be so easy to put my hope in these products and buy into their promise to slow down the aging process. But as much as I would like to think that these products will work miracles on my developing wrinkles, we all know that aging is inevitable. My body will continue to age no matter what cream I put on my face. Putting my hope in a cream or a crystal roller to try and slow it down will in time prove to be hopeless. When we feel hopeless, it's often tempting to put our hope in things that promise big. There's lots of things in this world where we want to put our hope in, whether it's an exciting and fulfilling career, or getting married to the man of our dreams, or perhaps it's to live a super healthy lifestyle. But although these idealistic ideas get our hopes up for a while, sometimes things do go wrong. It might be that you're not coping at work, or it might be that you're finding marriage a lot harder than you're expecting. It might be that you're living with chronic illness. In the end, we tend to put our hopes in things that we can't necessarily rely on. And we live in a world where it's easy to find yourself sad, 
despairing and hopeless. So where can we turn to for hope? Well, I'd like to suggest that God is the best person to turn to when we are feeling hopeless. So today we're going to look at whether it's okay to question God when we feel angry and hopeless. I'm going to take you through how to ask God for help when you're feeling hopeless. And finally, I'm going to talk to you about the ultimate hope that we have in God. So before we do that, we believe that the Bible is God's words to us, so I'm going to ask him for his help to explain it to you. So please join me as we pray. Dear God, please help us as we look at your word, the Bible, today. Help me to speak clearly and explain things well, and help us all to understand what kind of hope you offer us. Amen. So let's get started. I'm just going to mention a few quick things about Psalms, just to put this passage into context. So Psalms is a book that's full of songs and poems that are beautiful and encouraging, but there are also psalms of grief and sorrow where we encounter raw human emotion. Most of the psalms are written by David, who is quite well known in the Bible. He's the David from David and Goliath, but he's also, um, later on in his life, he became the greatest king of God's people. Quite a lot of David's life wasn't easy. He spent a lot of time being persecuted and hunted down by the previous king. So he went through tough physical challenges and mental suffering. So hopefully this background gives you a better idea of his point of view and why he wrote this particular psalm. So let's find out where David looked to for hope when he felt completely hopeless. Just follow on on with me from verse 1. David starts by diving right in the deep end. There's no, hey God, hope you've had a great day, just wanting to ask you a couple of questions. He just goes for it. Read along with me. Verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? David isn't feel, is feeling forgotten by God, like his relationship with God is broken. God could be helping and he isn't. Why? How long will you hide your face from me? The expression to hide your face means David doesn't feel like he's known by God. He's longing for acknowledgement. David knows God and trusts him, but he feels abandoned by God. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? David's thoughts are in turmoil. I'm sure a lot of you know what that's like. The sleepless night where your brain is playing out scenarios and you just can't find a solution. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? David is feeling deep sadness and it feels like it will never go away. It just goes on and on. How long will my enemy triumph over me? David feels like the world is against him. He is feeling utterly hopeless. I'm sure you noticed that each question starts with, how long? How long? It really does express that feeling of frustration when we're deeply in pain, doesn't it? How long must this go on? How long must we endure this? When we're in it, it feels like it's never ending. 
Looking back on those questions that David asked, we can see that they are straight to the point and they really express the despair that David is feeling. David isn't afraid to show his hopelessness to God. He knows it's okay to ask God questions and he's, when he's angry and he doesn't understand what God is doing. The, but the passage mentions God loves, God's love for us a little later on, and we'll get to that soon. But it's important to know that, God, uh, that David felt comfortable to come to God when he was hurting because God loved him and God understood his pain. I've spent the majority of my life living with some degree of anxiety and depression. And I'm not alone. I'm one of 17% of women in Australia who experience this. And a lot of the time, I'm fine and functional and well. And sometimes I'm struggling. But there have been times in my life where I have been absolute rock bottom. Up the creek without a paddle, not okay at all. And quite a few years ago, I had one of those rock bottom times. If you haven't experienced mental illness before, let me tell you, it's really hard to explain to people on the outside what is happening inside your head. Because on the inside, you are feeling that turmoil that David was talking about in the passage. But on the outside, you look physically fine. It can feel really lonely and it can feel really hopeless. Some of the advice I got was to journal my thoughts and I didn't just journal my thoughts and writing what was circling around in my head. I journaled my prayers and they weren't any kind of prayers. They were raw and rough and angry prayers. They were full of questions and accusations. They were basically the written down version of me shaking my fist at the heavens. I was so angry at God. How could he let this happen? Why did I get the broken brain? What purpose could this possibly have? Questioning God was cathartic. It felt good to express my emotions to God. But you might wonder what the point is. Couldn't I just shout my questions at anybody? At my husband, at my friends? at my local council member, maybe the person who's had me on hold for ages from Telstra. But I could, I suppose, but I don't think I'd feel any better afterwards. And I might owe some apologies. But in the end, I think I'm hard pressed to find a better person to question than God. You see, if the person you're expressing your hopelessness to hasn't experienced that same kind of hopelessness, it's really hard for them to really understand. They can be sympathetic, but underneath you know that they really don't get it. God gets it. He knows what you're going through. He understands what suffering is like. In fact, he knows what it's like to be in so much pain that you cry out to God in despair. How do I know this? Let's fast forward the Bible to the story of Jesus in Matthew chapter 27. We see Jesus hung on the cross in immense physical pain, having already experienced humiliation, betrayal, grave injustice. And while he hangs there, Jesus questions God. In verse 46, Jesus cries out to the heavens, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is God's son, so he's fully human but he's also fully God. 
So because of this, Jesus' experience of pain and despair is God's experience of pain and despair. God knows what it's like to be suffering badly enough to cry out to him. He loves us and he understands our pain because he's been there. I have no doubt that God heard every word of my angry prayers all those years ago. And even though I might not have comprehended it at the time, God understood my pain. Even if you've never come to God before with anything else, I hope that you can see that you can be real, feel free to be real with God. Cry out to him, throw your hard questions at him because God can take it. Because God is the most qualified person to come to when things seem hopeless. Because God understands your pain more than you know. He loves you and he hears your cries. I'm going to move on to my second point now, asking. Our passage moves into a time of request. David just doesn't walk away from God after yelling a bunch of questions at him. David recognises who God is a God who is able to answer prayer. He starts in verse 3 by praying, Look on me and answer me, Lord my God. Remember the lack of acknowledgement from God that David was talking about in verse 1? Well, now he's asking for it back. Look on me, answer me. He continues, Give light to my eyes. In this context, David's probably talking about life or joy. Give light to my eyes, for I will sleep in death, and my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. David feels like without God, the only thing he has to look forward to is death by the hand of his enemies. This is how deep his suffering is. God is his only hope in the depths of his hopelessness. You might notice that uh, that David doesn't ask for anything too specific from God. He just says, he just asks for God's attention and God's help. Perhaps he's leaning on God's wisdom to know what he needs, or maybe he's suffering so deeply that he has no words for what he needs. He just cries out. Questioning doesn't have to be the end of our interaction with God. The natural progression after questioning God, knowing that he understands your suffering, should then be to pray and ask God for help. If you've never spoken to God before, let alone asked him for something, I want you to know three things. One, God hears you. Two, God has the power to answer your prayer. And three, God answers prayer in his wisdom and his timing. God hears the prayers of all people. He's able to do anything you ask. He's also incredibly wise. He knows everything. So the question is not, can he do what we ask? But will he choose to? At home in my kitchen, I have a whiteboard that functions as our shopping list. So whenever we run out of something, we'll write it up. So remember to get it when we next go to the shops. However, a few members of our household like to take advantage of this list. They sometimes decide to write their own items up, which are usually something like chocolate or chips or ice cream, in the hopes that we just might buy it. So you can imagine the disappointment some weeks when we come home from the grocery shop and they discover that their sneaky item didn't make it into the trolley. So they will ask us, did we not see their item on the list? Did we miss it? 
Maybe we didn't buy it because we don't love them. Or maybe it wasn't available that day. The reality is that we did see what they wrote on the shopping list and we do love them and we want to give them good things and it probably was available at Woolies, but we just don't want them eating chocolate and chips and ice cream all day because we don't think it's the best thing for them. We want them to eat healthy foods so that they can be healthy. They don't see the big picture like we do. Are you afraid that if you ask God for something that you'll be left disappointed? Perhaps God won't hear me. Perhaps God doesn't care enough about me or perhaps God can't do anything about it. God answers all prayer. It's just that not every answer is yes. He has a different perspective to us. He knows things that we can't comprehend and he has a plan for each of us. The Bible tells us that God hears us. He has the power to answer our prayers and that he loves us. But when we pray for something, we need to trust in God's absolute wisdom that he will do what is best for us, even if we don't understand it at all. We might not have any idea why God allows bad things to happen. We might not see the logic of God answering this person's prayer and not that person's prayer. We might not see that God is just saying, not now, later. But that doesn't mean he doesn't hear us, and it definitely does not mean he doesn't love us. When you ask God for help, you don't need to explain anything. You don't need to use fancy words. You don't need to say much at all, really. It could be a simple, God, please help. And you can know that God will hear you. God is the best person to ask for help. He cares about us. He has the power to answer our prayers we just have to trust in his wisdom. So what do we do with all of this? We can question God, we can pray to God and ask for help. This might give us some hope in God, but it's not the life-changing hope that we long for, is it? Well, it's a good thing that Psalm 13 isn't over yet. Let's look at the last two verses. Verse 5. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. This seems a bit weird, right? One minute, David is crying out, pleading, despairing to God, and the next he's singing his praises. Has something changed his mind? Did he lose his train of thought? Well, this is the moment in the psalm where David remembered his hope in God. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. David's hope is in God's unfailing love, his salvation and his goodness. He makes a choice to remember these things because it gives him hope in his suffering. Do you remember that story I told you earlier where I was in a dark place and I was angry and questioning God? Well, things got better, but it took some time. One of the tools I used was called trick or truth. You had to write down a trick that your mind was telling you, and then next to it, you wrote down what you actually knew to be true. So for example, I might write down, I'm alone and no one loves me. And next to it, I would write, I'm not alone. There are people who love me, etc. So if it 
even if it doesn't feel true, writing it down and reminding us ourselves is a positive and encouraging way to reset our brain. I feel like that's a little bit like what David is doing here. He's sorting the trick from the truth. He's reminding himself of the things he knows to be true, even in his suffering. So let's look at what David held on to um, a little bit more closely and see whether that can make, give us hope too. I talked a little earlier about being free to question God when we feel hopeless. I reckon the biggest question that people have for God, and I think it gets thrown away around quite a bit, right, is what kind of God would allow innocent people to suffer? God answers this question in the Bible. It's there ready for us to read any time. But I think the reason we keep asking the question is that we already know that we won't like the answer. And that's fair enough because it's not easy to hear, even for those who've heard it before. But here it is. Humanity has chosen to reject God. The suffering that is experienced by us and the world today is a direct consequence of that rejection. We all reject God. We all sin. Perhaps some people's sin is more obvious than others, but we are all equal in our rejection of God and our choice to live our own way. Our rejection of God hurts him deeply and prevents us from having a relationship with him. When we reject God, we reject everything that is good. We are left with a broken world that is divisive, angry and living without God. In the end, the most devastating consequence of our sin is death and separation from God. We have no way of getting ourselves out of this situation. Sadly, no number of good deeds, helping others, meditation, self-help books, are going to get us out of this mess. Our relationship with God is irreparable. This is our true hopelessness. We can't do anything about this, but God can. So does he choose to save us? As David says in the passage, God loves us unfailingly and he is good. So I'm going to direct your attention to another part of the Bible, to the book of John. You might have heard it before because we use it a lot. It's a good little summary. It's at the bottom of your notes page so you can read it along with me. It's John 3.16 and it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God's unfailing love is completely revealed here. God gave his son, Jesus, to die an awful death in your place. You remember that suffering of Jesus that I was mentioning earlier? The physical pain, the betrayal, the humiliation, the despairing hopelessness that drove him to question God, his father. He did that for you so that we would not perish so that we would not experience death the consequence that we deserve God saves us so that we don't have to experience separation from him and by bringing Jesus back from life God also shows that he has power over death God promises that if we accept this gift of salvation he will make ready a place for us to live in his goodness forever 
This is how God saves us from our true hopelessness. This is the salvation that David was talking about. David is still suffering, but at the same time, he has hope in God. And we can have this hope too, even in the midst of brokenness and pain. Let me tell you what I think this hope is like. A couple of weeks ago, we were visiting family in Orange and we went along to a church there. We got chatting to an older couple who asked us where we lived in Sydney. And I said, oh, you know, Lane Cove Road and Epping Road, well, we live a couple of blocks from there. They were horrified. They thought living so close to two major roads sounded terrible with all the noise and the cars and the people. They could not understand why we would choose to live there. And we explained that we loved our little corner of Sydney. We love our community and its primary school and the cafes and the neighbours and the church just down the road. From the outside, this couple could not only see the highways and the cars and the crowds, but we know that among the chaos of Sydney, there exists small oases of community and life. I think that's a little bit like what hope in God is like. We live in the chaos of this broken world where we experience suffering and pain. But within all that, we can rest in the oasis of guaranteed hope in God. God is giving us salvation in Jesus. And if we trust in him, we have the promised hope of life with, with God where there will be no pain and no suffering. I feel like we've been on a bit of an emotional journey with David today. We've travelled with him as he threw his hard questions at a God who understood his pain. We followed him as he asked God for help, the God who heard him and has the power to answer prayer. And finally, we saw David recall his hope in God's unfailing love, in his salvation and in his goodness. If you feel like life is hopeless, can I invite you to explore the hope that you can have in God? In the depths of our true hopelessness, God offers us ultimate hope. He drops a lifeline. He saves us through Jesus and offers us a good, eternal, good, wonderful life with him. God doesn't expect anything in return. He just wants to welcome you with open arms. I'm going to pray to our loving God now. And if you feel like you're ready to accept the hope in God that we've been talking about, please pray along with me. Dear God, I understand that my sin, my rejection of you, leads to death and separation from you. I understand that I cannot save myself from this hopelessness. I believe that you love me so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die in my place and save me from my hopeless state. Thank you for saving me and thank you that I can look forward to a guaranteed place with you in your goodness. Amen. If you have any questions about what I've said today or maybe you'd like to explore hope in God further, please do speak to the person who brought you or Kate and I would be happy to chat to you afterwards if you feel comfortable.